Welcome to Canyon Creek Church. My name is Morgan Butcher. Um, blessed to be one of the pastors on staff. Thanks for joining us online for week two of our series, Crazy Makers. And in this series, we're exploring the fact that we all deal with difficult people. In fact, some people are so difficult that they can seem crazy or they can make us feel crazy. Now, I, I can honestly get along with just about anyone, I feel like. I, I feel like I can, I can get along with most people. But the reality is we've all experienced people who can push our buttons. You know what I mean? We, we all have those people in our life who, who know exactly how to get under our skin. They, they say things, they do things that irritate us, and they get under our skins. They push our buttons. They do things, they say things that cause us to react in a way that oftentimes we're not super proud of. They're button pushers. Can you think of somebody this morning that knows just how to push your buttons? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's somebody close to you, maybe it's a neighbor who doesn't pick up their dog poop. You know, who pushes your buttons? You could probably think of somebody, and probably you shouldn't look around to anyone that you're in the room with right now, but we can all think of button pushers in our lives. But here's what I began to feel like God was challenging me with as I was getting ready for this week. It's the reality that I can't change people who push my buttons. Uh, It's not my job. I I can't do anything to change what they do or what they say. I can get mad at them. Uh, I can be annoyed by them. I can tell them how I feel. I can tell them to stop. But the reality is that I can't change them. So what do you and I do in response to people who push our buttons. Here is what I felt like God was speaking to me this week that I want to challenge you with as well. It's that I've got to stop trying to control the way that other people live. And I've got to do a better job at controlling the way that I respond to the crazy makers in my life. The, to the way that I respond to the button pushers in my life. And I don't know about you, but my response to people who push my buttons is generally rooted in anger. It comes out every time when somebody pushes my buttons. And the truth is, is that if we're going to learn how to live with crazy makers around us, and that's the truth, we can't get rid of them. We can't isolate ourselves from them, no matter how bad you probably want to. If we're going to learn to live with crazy makers around us, we have to learn how to deal with our anger and the button pushers in our life. Now, anger is not always an inappropriate response. You know that? Uh, I, I, it's not always wrong. In fact, there's many situations where anger is actually the appropriate response because anger is oftentimes evidence of love. For instance, if someone tries to hurt my wife or my daughter, you better believe that anger is going to be the first thing that they experience from Morgan Butcher. And that's a totally appropriate response because it's evidence of my love for them. If you try to hurt somebody that you love, anger is going to be the thing that you respond with. There are some things that we should get angry about. We should get angry when we hear about racial injustice in our world. We should get angry when we hear about children being abused or, or we should be angry when we see children starving around the world or, or families that are, are living in extreme poverty while others are wasting away resources. There's things that should elicit anger within our lives. But look at what Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. You know what? This scripture is interesting because it implies that there's a way to get angry 
and not sin. Did you catch that? Meaning that not all anger is sin, but the Bible also makes it totally clear that most times our anger is sinful and inappropriate. Can I tell you that self-centered anger is always sinful? Look at what Proverbs 25 says in the New King James Version. It says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Proverbs 12 says, fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent or the wise quietly shrug off insults. Proverbs 16 says, it's better to be slow-tempered than famous. It's better to have self-control than to control an army. In other words, it's more important to be a person in control of our emotions than it is to be well-known, than it is to be a successful business owner, than it is to be a a well-known national speaker. You name it, whatever it is, it's better to have control of ourselves. In fact, anger, did you know it's a learned response? Uh, We learn it from whatever we surround ourselves with the most of whether it's TV or, or people in our lives or movies, you name it, it is a learned response in our life. But the good news about anger being a learned response is that it can be unlearned. We can learn appropriate ways to deal with our anger. And there's two things that I want to talk about today with us. And the first is that we need to understand the different ways that anger comes out in our lives. The different ways that, that, that anger comes out in our life and in the lives of those around us, it's not always an extreme, sudden meltdown. Sometimes it's a slow buildup process that over time reveals itself. And the second thing I want to do today is I want to share with you some biblical principles on how we can control our anger when crazy makers are pushing buttons in our life. Brandon mentioned this last week that this message series was inspired by uh, a a similar series that Pastor Rick Warren preached. And so I want to give credit where credit is due because much of what I want to share was inspired by his very well-written words in his message alone. But the Bible identifies four different ways that people express anger, and I want to share those with you. And the first is this. It's the machine gun anger. Now, if you've ever encountered a person with machine gun anger— it's a miracle that you are alive and here to tell the story of it. Because machine gun anger people, they let you have it. They mow down anyone in your path. Their goal is to make you feel as miserable about your life after dealing with them as possible. There is no denying when these people are mad. You've probably experienced someone like this before. They will yell at you. They will throw things at you, right? If you're lucky, they'll cuss at you, right? They will make you feel as small as possible. They are like walking hand grenades. And when someone pulls that hairpin trigger, it's only a matter of time and there's no stopping what you are about to experience. And in the book of Genesis, we have this very first angry machine gunner and his name was Cain. And Cain and Abel were brothers. uh, They were the first two sons born to Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel. Abel became a shepherd. And while Cain was a farmer, at harvest time, Cain brought the Lord a gift of his farm produce. And Abel brought the fatty cuts of meat from the best lambs. And both of them presented them to the Lord. And the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And this made Cain both dejected and angry. And scripture says that his face grew dark 
with fury. And the Lord asks, why are you angry? Why is your face so dark with rage? It can be brightened with joy if you will do what you should. But if you refuse to obey, watch out. Sin is waiting to attack you, longing to destroy you, but you can conquer it. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there together, Cain attacked and killed his brother Abel. Check out the last words in that scripture, attacked. This Hebrew word, it means to smite with deadly intent. This is the response of somebody with machine gun anger. They attack with deadly intent. In fact, their response is often so radical that they're often embarrassed and regret the things that they've said and that they've done afterwards. It's a machine gun type of anger. The second type of anger that we often see in people is the crockpot anger. And the crockpot anger is almost the exact opposite of the machine gun anger, but equally as destructive. They don't blow up, they build up. They don't get violent, they get silent. They stew, they simmer, they create the slow burning and swallow by swallowing their anger. They hold it within it. They, they compress their anger within them until one day it explodes. Maybe you've experienced the crock pot anger before. Maybe you know somebody who embodies that crock pot type of anger, or maybe you have been experiencing it, but you haven't seen it revealed yet. Uh, just wait, you'll find out sl- short, shortly, and you will probably realize really quickly, oh, that was some crock pot anger right there. But these are the people that when asked if everything's okay, they'll simply respond with, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. No, no, it's totally fine. No worries, everything everything's fine. When in reality, their blood is boiling. They're keeping score. They're filing away every wrong that's ever been committed against them, building up anger until one day they can't hold it anymore. A good example of crockpot crock pot anger would be this Old Testament guy by the name of Absalom. And he was the son of King David. And one day he discovered that his half-brother Amnon had raped his sister Tamar. And check out the crockpot in action. Second Samuel 13, we read of the story. It says, when King David heard all of this, he was furious. Absalom never said a word to Amnon. It was just boiling. Either good or bad, he didn't say a word. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Listen to this. Two years later, this anger had been boiling inside of him. When Absalom's sheep shearers were at Balhazar near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Skip ahead to verse 28. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is high in spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike down Amnon, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. When people say, man, that really burns me up. Man, that, that really fires me up. That really stirs something up in me. You know what literally does? We were literally not designed to hold on to anger. It's like inhaling fire or swallowing poison. It's not so much what we eat, but it's what eats us. If we're holding on to our anger, it's eating us up from the inside and it's not long before the inside comes out. And so we've got machine guns and we've got crockpots. We've got the violent and we've got the silent. They, we've got the blow up and we've got the slow, steady buildup. But in the end, they're both deadly. 
The third type of anger is what we refer to as the martyr. And the martyr is interesting because the martyr, they're pros at holding pity parties. Um, they announce a pity party and they're the first ones to show up at it. Like they're, they're, they're waiting to have the pity party. Martyrs are usually passive. They respond by punishing themselves. They look inward. They try to make it about themselves. Often their anger comes out in a way that searches and finds the very way that it affects them. And then they use that as fuel for their dissatisfaction and their anger. And when we look at the New Testament, we find the story of the prodigal son. And, and this is a classic example of the martyr type of anger. And there was a man who had two sons and the younger one asked, dad, I want to have my half of the inheritance now. And when his father gave it to him, he went off. And we know from reading scripture that he wasted it on useless things, on women, on food, on drink, on all sorts of things. And when he had finally come to his senses and he returns home, his father welcomes him with this unconditional love. And so his father kills the fattened calf. He throws this huge party and everyone attended except the older brother. In Luke 15, 28, it says the older brother became angry and refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him to come in. Have you ever experienced this where everyone's partying and there's one person outside that has got some grudge or got some bitterness and you're pleading with them to just, come on, come, come enjoy the party. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders, yet you never gave me even young, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But, but when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, then you kill the fattened calf for him. You see, the martyr has to be sweet-talked. They have to be pleaded with. They have to be pampered. They make everyone else miserable around them because they're the only ones who have slaved away or put in their fair share of the load. And if they're not happy, then no one gets to be happy. They ruin all the family parties. They make it about themselves. They are the martyrs. In some ways, their anger is just as deadly as the machine guns or the crock pots, but it comes across in a totally different manner. So there's the machine guns, there's the crock pot anger, there's the martyr, and lastly, there's the manipulator. The motto of the manipulator is don't get mad, get even. The manipulators will never tell us to our face that they're angry with us, but rather they'll do it subtly. They'll do it slyly. They'll, they'll, they'll do it sarcastically. They're, they're indirect with their, their comments. And they sabotage us and make us look bad behind the scenes. It's hard to catch a manipulator because they will never admit that they are doing or, or, or what they're actually feeling is in response to their anger towards you. The Pharisees are a great example of the manipulators looking for any opportunity, these religious leaders looking for any opportunity to take down Jesus without them really being noticed as bad people. One Sabbath, Jesus was in the synagogue teaching and there was a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees, they were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of the miracles he was doing. They were jealous of the following that he had. And they were looking for a way to nail him. And they knew that if he healed this man on the Sabbath on this day, he would be violating the very law that they were to follow. And in Luke 6, it says, Jesus looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, reach out your hand. 
And as he did it, it became completely normal again. Listen to this. At this, the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, were wild with rage and began to plot his murder. They were manipulators. Now they were in a position to accuse Jesus and manipulate things to get revenge on him finally. So my question is, what's your style when people push your buttons? Man, when people get under your skin, how does anger play out in your life? What is your response when people are pushing your buttons? Are you more like the machine gun? You blow up, you let everyone have it, you mow people down. Are you the crock pot? Do you just kind of store it away and it slowly builds up and builds up and builds up until one day it explodes? Are you the martyr? Do you just hold it all against yourself? Do you look inwardly and, and make everyone else feel horrible around you? Are you the manipulator trying to seek revenge or plot out some scheme to get back for everything that you've been annoyed by? All of us tend to relate to one of these styles and none of them are really helpful to us. Really quickly, I want to look at the book of Proverbs because it gives us four very practical ways to control our anger when crazy makers are pushing our buttons. Because the reality is, We can't get rid of crazy makers. We can't just put them on an island and then go away, even though you might wish you could. And so we have to look at ourselves. We have to realize that that the thing that makes us respond to crazy makers is actually what's inside of us. It's our anger. And so with us not being able to separate ourselves from them, we have to decide how am I going to respond when crazy makers in my life push my buttons. When crazy makers push our buttons, we have to do four things. And the first thing is this. We have to calculate the cost of our anger. Before we allow ourselves to get mad back at them, we need to calculate what we're going to lose by responding in anger. Calculate the cost of anger. We're less likely to get angry when somebody pushing our buttons if we realize that there's always a price tag attached to our anger. The Bible talks really intentionally about uncontrolled anger. And look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. It says, an angry man stirs up dissension. A hot-tempered one commits many sins. Proverbs 15 says, a quick-tempered man starts fights. A cool-tempered man tries to stop them. Proverbs 14 says, the hot-headed do things that they will later regret in life. The cold-hearted get the cold shoulder. So, If our anger gets out of control, when our anger gets out of control, here's the cost. What did we just see in those four, in those three Proverbs? We see that we cause dissension in other means. That means we create disunity. It means that we commit many sins. We start fights. We do things that we'll later regret. You see, there's a cost to our anger. That's the price we pay for uncontrolled anger in our life. So when someone starts pushing your buttons, before you retaliate, before you get angry back, you and I need to calculate the cost of our anger. Do we really want to cause disunity among our lives? Do we really want to sin more? Do we really want to start fights? Do we really want to add to our list of regrets in life? We have to calculate the cost of our anger. When crazy makers push our buttons, we not only have to calculate the cost of our anger, we have to respond with love by looking past their words and to their pain. And I don't think there's any better example of this in scripture than just looking at Jesus. 
Jesus did this with his life up until the very last moments of his life. This is why he could say when being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They mocked him. They beat him. And in reality, Jesus saw through their words. He saw through their actions of what they had done that day. And he, he saw that they were actually acting out of their own pain. Modern psychology tells us that we deal best with our anger through expressing it, almost like emptying a bucket full of water. So if someone hurts us, we dump it out all over them and we will feel better and think that we become healthier through self-expression of our anger. Like dumping out a bucket full of water on somebody. But look at Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14 verse 29 says, a wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. Expressing our anger, pouring out that bucket of anger over somebody, onto somebody, of itself doesn't solve anything. Because angry people don't have a bucket of anger. I love what Pastor Rick Warren said about this. They don't have a bucket of anger. He says they often have an anger-producing factory. It just continues to build and build and build a factory that can keep on producing anger faster than it can be expressed. And often the expression of it just fuels the factory even more. Studies literally show that aggression only creates more aggression in our life. Anger only creates more anger. Angry outbursts often lead to more anger and it becomes a habitual pattern in our life. The answer isn't just to express our anger because expression often feeds it. So understanding we can't always control the way a person speaks to us or treats us. We have to instead look past their words. We have to look past the things that they do, past the things that they say. And we have to try to feel their pain because the truth behind their anger is that hurt people hurt people. And when we pour out our anger onto them, we're only hurting ourselves more in the long run. So when crazy makers push our, push our buttons, we have to look past their words and try to feel their pain. We have to calculate the cost of angers. But when crazy makers push our buttons, we also have to think before reacting. This is a super simple concept, but maybe the most important concept for us to practically understand. We have to think before we speak because anger control is largely a matter of mouth control. It's critical that we don't respond impulsively, but rather we put our mind in gear before we put our mouth in gear. We have to think before reacting. Proverbs 13, 16 says, wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about their foolishness. Proverbs 29 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. You want to control your anger when crazy makers are pushing your buttons? We've got to stop. We've got to breathe. We've got to think before we react. And the last thing is this. When crazy makers are are pushing our buttons, we not only have to calculate the cost, we not only have to look past their words and and try to feel their pain, we not only have to stop and think before reacting, but probably the most important thing that we can do is we have got to humble ourselves and ask God for help. 
The problem that we're facing with our own anger is not a result of what's going on around us, but usually it's a matter of what's going on within us. We can try to blame others. We can try to blame our circumstances, but the truth is, is that the problem is usually inside of us. What causes a person to lash out? What causes a person to speak in anger? Maybe you can blame the circumstances around you, but, but my thought is it's more of an expression of what's inside than what's outside. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's why when we, under, when we are under pressure and all of a sudden we start to attack others around us, it reveals what's inside of us. None of us like to admit this, but it's the truth. And the reality is when you snap on a button pusher, when you snap on a crazy maker, who looks like a fool? You or the button pusher? So what do we do? How do we control the anger we have that causes us to lash out at button pushers? Yeah, we can do these three things, but like I said, I don't think there's anything more important than we do, then we ask God for help. Because when we ask God for help, we're not just asking for his assistance, we're asking for him to live within us. You see, when we ask God for help, we are asking him and allowing his spirit to fill us with what we don't always have. Maybe you remember Galatians 5, through 25, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what I found in life is that when I'm filled with myself, when, when, when I start my morning, just filled and just concerned with Morgan, almost anything can upset me. I I mean, leaving something at the house when I leave for work, finding the car on empty, locking my keys in the car, slow traffic, something innocent that my wife said said to me that rubbed me the wrong way. But if I'm filled with God's spirit, when when I start my morning, by saying, God, help me today. Help me today to not respond in a way that is self-centered in my anger, but help me to respond with your spirit, what you fill me up with. My response is often so different than I would respond on my own. You see, when I am filled with God's spirit, I can lean into his peace that I don't always feel like I have to give. When I am filled with God's spirit, I can depend on his self-control guiding and supporting me when I feel like exploding. How do we get filled with God's spirit? Let's not make it too complicated. It's three very simple words. Lord, help me. Do you remember this verse? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, the key to controlling our anger is in humility. Our ability to control our anger starts with the willingness to admit that we have a problem and that we are willing to trust someone else to help us. So whether it's our own anger or those who are pushing our buttons, 
It begins and ends with this prayer by saying, Lord, help me today. So when crazy makers are pushing your buttons, remember you can't change them, but you can control your response. And when anger is all you want to respond with, God's spirit living within you can help you respond with something else. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray over you. Today, I just want to pray a very simple prayer. And and if this is you, and you just realize that your response to crazy makers around you is often equally as crazy as the crazy makers in your life, I want to pray that where you know you can't change them, you would have the humility to say, God, help me to change the way I respond to them. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're a God who only looks inward to our life. God, you don't care about the circumstances around us as much as you care about the the heart within us. And God, I thank you that today you have the power to change our hearts. You have the power to change the way we respond to people in our life who make us crazy. God, you have the power to change our response of anger into a response of peace, into a response of love, into a response of kindness and gentleness and self-control that we don't always feel like we have. And so God, I pray over every single person who just says, man, I want to respond different. I, I want to I own the fact that, that, that I can respond different to the people around me in my life who drive me crazy. And this morning, today, God, I pray that, that you would fill us with your spirit, God, that what we have to give is not something that we have on our own, but it's something that you give us that outlasts us, Father, that outlasts what we have to give. God, your goodness, your faithfulness, your peace, your joy, your kindness, your self-control, God, fill us with your spirit today so that what we give in response to the crazy makers around us is something other than the anger that lies within us, Father. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.